0: Three... Two... One... This is the Insider's Podcast.
1: Alright, welcome back to the Insider's Podcast, audio edition. If you're a regular listener, you probably know that outside of this world, I'm a media guy too. So being involved in the cannabis space for almost three years now, I couldn't help but admire the PR work that I kept seeing from Medifarm Labs. So after a little digging, I discovered Sybil Taylor, who's the Chief Marketing Officer. She's amazing, and if you follow this space like me, you'll know that she's one of the best in the business. So please welcome Sybil Taylor, who tells a bit of her story, not just what she does now, but how she got here and what she does that makes her such a valuable asset to Medifarm Labs. This one's more about marketing in the cannabis space than anything. So if you're like me and you're conscious of all the hoops that one has to jump through in order to do any type of branding in this biz, this one's for you.
0: Welcome to the Insiders Podcast.
1: Welcome to the podcast, Sybil.
0: Hey, thanks so much, Michael. Good to talk to you.
1: Yeah, you too. Finally catching up. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Who are you?
0: I'm Sybil Taylor. I'm a cannabis professional, mother, wife, entrepreneur. And uh, I was a lapsed cannabis user, but I'm back at it. Having worked in the alcohol industry for, you know, 26 years, I I tended to, you know, go to alcohol for recreational enjoyment, but um, happy to be back at, back in cannabis again and uh, enjoying myself and proud of the products we make. And uh, I also love the sort of health aspect side of things. So, nice. you know, I'm at a, a different phase of life being in my late 50s now and and uh, have deep respect for what
1: this industry is doing nice well let's talk about your uh, professional career chronologically if you would I, I won't go all the way back but i guess i'll start with steam whistle because that was obviously a big portion of your uh, professional life in marketing yeah. um you spent 18 years at steam Whistle according to your linkedin account can you yeah. tell me about your role and the evolution of that uh, within the company in that time
0: Sure, I had worked with my husband and a bunch of other people that started Steam Whistle um, for almost a decade at the Upper Canada Brewing Company. And that went public and was eventually bought uh, out by Sleeman and they closed it down and 110 of us lost our jobs. So we did other things for a few years. But um, Greg and and some cohorts started um, writing the business plan and frankly I couldn't stay away. And um, we, we had really young kids at the time and a big mortgage and whatever. So it was a bit a bit dodgy, risky for us personally to both be working together in a new startup, but it was very exciting and um, it was really at the early stages of the craft uh, renaissance, if you will. I mean, there'd been hundreds of craft breweries around North America and, and the world really before Prohibition. Um, but in the 90s, when we started writing uh, the business plan for Steam Whistle, so it was really early days for craft. and So it was pretty exciting and, and I was the first employee there, so I helped to bring that brand to life and to launch it. Um, ultimately, Ultimately, we had 13 people working in marketing. We did everything pretty much in house from social media, PR. We had graphic designers, you know, trademarking, events, etc. And we had a lot of fun. I, I have to tell you, and you know, I'm really proud of the work we did. We We were pioneers in the industry and laid the groundwork for now. I think there's something like 800 craft breweries or more, maybe a thousand by now in Canada. And so, as one of the earlier entrants, we set the stage for how you connect with customers, the kind of branding we did, you know, vintage vehicles, the events, our whole space downtown at the Roundhouse uh, really has, um, I think, you know, created almost the framework of how craft breweries connect. And and, and I, I feel a little funny you know, making such a claim, but we've been told that time again and again that um you know we set the stage for things like art shows in a brewery or music concerts and just the fact that we had a big event venue and hosted 85 weddings a year i mean that kind of stuff yeah. is happening more and more and and i think even coming over into cannabis too right and you certainly see that in the u.s and i'm excited for the day when those kinds of experiential activities can happen on premise mm. uh, for for cannabis companies so, so it's been a great ride i I've really enjoyed um, the entrepreneurial aspect of it working with my husband for 26 years, day in, day out. I mean, not everybody can do that, but we we really thrived working together. We're both entrepreneurial and Simo was really like our third child. You
1: know? Just to clarify, what was your husband's role with the company?
0: Oh, Greg Taylor, he's he was one of the co-founders and and they kind of ran it jointly, like Ben and Jerry, he and Cam. Um, He's actually back at the helm there again as CEO, um, just on his own now. And um, after both of us working in cannabis for a little.
1: Nice. Well, you went from director of marketing to director of communications. So, how did your role change from one to the other?
0: Um, it's funny. We had a very flat uh, hierarchy there. There were no VPs or you know uh, EVPs or any of the chief anything. Um, everybody that was director sort of reported directly to the president. So so over my history of 18 years, three times I ran marketing there. But I, I took a step back. At one point, I was working really part-time when our kids were little. So mm-hmm. for six years, I was working part-time. Then I went back. And then as other people came and went um, over those 18 years, I'd step back in the seat of running running things there. Okay. And in the last few years I was there, I was really just focused on communications. So uh, PR and, and corporate affairs if you will corporate social responsibility and had a team of three working with me there so social media any any connection with the customer that was that was through my team
1: okay incidentally steam whistle is delicious i like it my <laughs> thank you um yeah, okay.
0: like-
1: <laughs> so after 18 years you stepped out of the, the alcohol space and eventually found yourself in cannabis i think your first role was very brief but with a company called nuvera uh what did you do with that right
0: so i was chief marketing officer. Um, for Canada, um, we were launching a, a medical cannabis company that had a global platform. There were really interesting, smart people that worked there. It was a small team, just twelve of us globally, but we had uh, we were laying the groundwork. Uh, working really early days in Europe to get licensing there. We had the uh, ex-Canadian ambassador to Israel working in Israel and parts of Europe. We had uh, the uh, ex-business development person for Uber Europe uh, working with us doing business development all over the globe. And um, we established some pathways into Germany. We had a a really bright guy in Germany who um, we were one of the first applicants into Germany's call for... Uh, cannabis cultivators so we established uh, a clinic there cultivation facility etc so we were we uh, greg uh, my husband greg was the uh, president of canada for nubera and you know he brought me on as the marketing person because we worked decades together and and um um, we we only worked there four months i think before the company was it went public and then it was bought by a yeah And um, I think our biggest asset was um, a really sophisticated lab in Brampton that was both an extraction facility as well as uh, preparing to do, um, you know, derivative product uh, manufacturing and at the time when we first bought that company in brampton they they were also doing laboratory testing for others once we owned them and we were associated um, as an a, as an lp that was going to be um, introducing our own products um, they sort of stopped doing competitor laboratory work that that didn't work you know for the business model but it was it was a really interesting platform it was very sophisticated super technical bright people and uh, it was a good introduction to cannabis for me for sure it was really early days it was long before uh legalization on the adult use side.
1: Okay. And then for less than a year, I believe, uh you opened up your own company to do marketing and presumably in the cannabis space. And then eventually uh dropped into MetaFarm Labs. Can you talk about that? Were you recruited? Did you know uh Pat in advance and Keith?
0: So after um after we left New Vera, Greg and I spent a couple of months um, with some other partners just um, poking around the space. We probably took a hundred meetings with different people in the cannabis industry, wow. whether it was on sure. the investor side or looking to partner in JV with other existing LPs. We had dreams about creating our own products with the impending legalization, the adult use side. That's what we were used to building brands and, and um, you know maybe ultimately creating some beverages or edibles. And so we were having a lot of talks with potential partners. And um, I think it was in May of 2018, um, within one day, three different people unrelated sent us the Medifarm Labs pitch deck. And so we thought we better go see these guys. So in short order, we drove up to Berry and had a tour and I was just instantly taken by the place. It looks so different than every other facility that we toured. They weren't cultivators. They were this very sophisticated science lab. They were not unlike lab that Nuvera had owned in Brampton. So I recognized the sophistication, the investment in technology, and and this true pharma perspective. Um, And coming from Steam Whistle, where our slogan was, do one thing really, really well, I instantly recognized that what Pat and Keith um, had in mind was this complete devotion to quality and a really singular focus on just the extraction process and 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 then what they were going to do with those concentrates. And it was kind of funny because, you know, Greg and I had, we hadn't planned for this to happen, but because we were bought out pretty quickly um, at Nuvera, you know, I had a little chunk of change in my pocket, and Greg went out and bought a sports car. <laughs> but I invested in MediFarm, and I just thought that these guys were so different from everybody else we've met. I, I believed in them, and I, I love their energy. I, you've met both of them. You've mm-hmm. interviewed them. And-
1: yeah, they're great. They're guys. Just,
0: they're, they just have such energy and, and they're legit. They're like small town guys that that are real people and they weren't just in it for the flash in the pan, like quick, you know, make some money and get out. These these guys really wanted to operate a wonderful company. And, and um, so pretty quickly, they started asking me if I'd come and work with them. They didn't have anybody doing full-time marketing at the time. And initially, I was just doing consulting for them and then... Perhaps a month month or two later, I became a full-time employee. And it was thrilling to be back at the beginning of of a startup, for one, but also to be at the beginning of a groundbreaking industry, not unlike the way I had been at the beginning of craft beer, the craft beer revolution. So it was a lot of fun. I mean, um, my kids were grown up, they were off at university, or one lived out in Vancouver. I actually had a little bit more freedom now to kind of dive in as a professional, career professional, and just devote myself to it without a lot of family obligations and... So that's
1: what I did. Nice. Must be nice. I have a seven and eight year old boy. So I'm, I'm waiting for that day to come back again.
0: I do not know how you guys are like with young people are managing in COVID. What yeah. a challenge. Like, yeah. Off to you. The
1: secret is to wake up early in the morning, beat them out of bed okay. and get work done. Um, no, I remember talking to uh, Pat in particular and he was ex- explaining sort of the origin of the company and the conversations that they had. And that's one thing I'll say. He was very genuine. And also it, it, it seemed to me that he was very, very focused on uh, what they wanted to accomplish. was not like we're doing yeah. 10 different things it was we're doing this no, like, i had
0: deep respect for that yeah. yeah you see i mean you see now what's happening two years later where companies like aurora or canopy kind of blew their brains out like growing all over the world buying dozens of companies and it, it becomes unmanageable and and so i, I had a real respect the way these guys were focused they were mm-hmm. being fruited in the way they were spending money and you know, it was it was a little bit uh, giddy the the origins of the cannabis industry with you know the Ontario um, Securities Commission kind of changing rules a little bit and allowing companies to go public before they were even generating revenue and whatnot. It was it it was giddy the amount of money that was coming at people and for me having worked at, at most of my career in private enterprises where money's super tight and things move a little bit more slowly and you you have. Um, you know, just a few dozen shareholders perhaps that are you're you're working with, but to be given um, you know, a key to the bank essentially, I, I was actually quite respectful of the way they were very carefully spending their money and Investing in this pretty sophisticated platform and and very bright people that they were bringing on.
1: The team. Right, I think giddy is an understatement, but uh, yeah, I, I know just saying for sure. That hype was massive. Yeah. Um, I want to talk a bit about marketing and what you do now, if that's okay. Dig a little deeper. Um, just starting with your history, you went to school, took uh, marketing and finance between eighty three and eighty eight, roughly. So this is yeah. pre internet. This is pre the way that we do things now. So talk to yeah. me a little bit about sort of. How you started in marketing, how it's different, and how you evolved and actually managed to teach yourself how to deal with all of the new technology that we use today.
0: Sure. So... um Early in my career, I was given a book by one of my bosses and it was called uh, One-on-One Marketing, um, Customer for Life. And it was just, to me, that was really eye-opening. It was about being able to have a very personal relationship with every customer, knowing them intimately, understanding their needs, having direct conversations. And, you know, now that's done digitally, but for a long time, it was done in person, whether it was actually having field visits, you know, so in my early days at Upper Canada. I started a very robust program for our sales reps to go out and visit all the beer stores, all the bars and restaurants. We were collecting data. They had to fill out surveys uh, and bring that information back to me. And so we had really deep personal connections with the distribution channel. And, you know, especially in alcohol, you almost never meet your customer. They're buying anonymously at the beer store or the LCBO or at a bar and restaurant. And so if you're able to create missionaries, um, you know they do the selling for you and so as a marketer you're really about building the narrative telling the story and then telling it so well and so consistently that everybody else knows how to say it for you just as well and you have to believe in that you have to back it up it can't just be a story the customer experience has to match that so i learned sort of early on if you under promise and over deliver then you delight people and so it's how do you continue to do that time and time Again, because as, as times progressed, you know, in the old days, people would drink the same brand of beer their whole life. They'd adopt whatever their dad or their gran- grandfather drank, and then they'd just carry on because there was so little access to information. But over time, as the internet was born and people started being able to research self, and they had exposure to so much media, they started questioning things and exploring. And and that's not just in alcohol; that's in every category that no longer did advertising mean everything to the consumer but referrals from friends or colleagues or experts or media took on a lot more meaning and so you're only as good as your last interaction with people you have to protect your reputation so deeply mm-hmm. and you have to live up to expectations that you've set for yourself and so this these principles to me are universal whether you're marketing beer to consumers or beer to bartenders or cannabis to contract manufacturing partnerships, or uh, you know, cannabis edibles to you know an end end consumer. So um, those those principles really are universal. So. Uh, I've had to go about first of all crafting that narrative, you know, understanding Pat and Keith's vision, translating that into language that makes sense both from a professional, uh, you know, B two B sort of story. I also have to, for the first time, be marketing much more publicly to investors, connecting with retailers, and then ultimately to end consumers and patients as well. So there are different, slightly different narratives, um, maybe different language, colloquial or scientific, um, but the messaging has to sort of have the universal principle right? yeah. underscoring all the
1: brand. So as a professional marketer who's been involved in a few startups now, um, how do you approach your job? You've got a, like a blank slate in front of you. You're asked to market a product or a company. What do you do when you walk in? How do you look at the situation and go, okay, here's what I want to do. A, B, C, D, E.
0: So understanding what's the why of a business, not what you do or how you do it, but what's your core purpose. And so it's like a concentric ring of circles. Your why, your how, your what, your where, your when. And so basically it's I, I begin by sitting down with the owners or the visionaries of the brand and trying to decipher all of those things and put them into a language or a story, you know, tell the brand story. What are the brand's values? What are what are the characteristics? What are the personality traits? What are the proof points? it kind of convey the story. You can't just make claims without backing them up. And so it's about, um, first of all, starting talking to the visionaries, but then it's talking to everybody else in the organization and understanding how their part in that ladders up to support the vision and, and, and the values. I think initially, I spent almost as much time because we, you know, in the early days of Medifarm, we weren't even public. We didn't have our sales license. We weren't even making products and selling them. We were making them in, in early days of product development and testing and optimizing uh, you know, our methods and so forth behind the scenes, but we weren't yet a public entity mm-hmm. in, in mm-hmm. terms of connecting with customers. So I probably spent as much time on internal marketing. I had to craft that story and narrative. Then I had to tell it to everybody else in the organization because they, in turn, were conveying it to their new employees they were hiring. Um, they were connecting with suppliers, making sure that... Every Everybody that was supporting Medifarm was doing so uh, to the same tune. So are we buying the right equipment? Are we aligning with the right suppliers that that share our ethos? Are we treating employees um You know, right in the vision of how Pat and Keith want to, how they imagine this company. And so whether it was signage or helping to facilitate kind of strategic planning and helping all of the employees at the time, we probably only had 30 employees or something. And of course now there's 230, but in the early days, we actually gathered everybody together whether they were an entry-level chemist or production tech or some of our leadership team. And actually together... Um, formulating what do we stand for what are, what are our values um, how do we see ourselves in the future because if everybody isn't hasn't bought in to the, that goal and vision how can you ever possibly achieve it especially an organization like ours which is mm. so rooted in quality that you need absolute passion and commitment so that everybody's living up to those high standards day, yeah. and day.
1: i like so, that One key takeaway I got there was uh, with a startup, uh, you really have to focus internally as well, perhaps more so in the beginning than externally.
0: That was our success at Steam Whistle. We we actually coined the phrase, the good good beer folks, which was right on our packaging. So it's about making good beer, but it's also the good people that work there. And I I really respected the way Pat and Keith created that same kind of culture here, that even before we'd, we'd made a penny of revenue Pat put in place this really robust fringe benefits package that maybe we weren't as a startup able to pay top salaries. Um, but he knew that we were not only you know requiring everybody that was working with us to sort of work crazy long hours and really devote themselves to the startup, but that that was impacting the family as well. And so... You know, I, I I respond to that kind of thing. This respect that they were showing their employees. They also, right from the get go, um, allowed every one of the company, the people at the company, to receive uh, share options as part of their compensation. So that we were all walking in each day as owners, very invested. And we had done the same thing at at So we had an employee share purchase plan. Um, so that you know, some people might only have a hundred dollars of shares, but other people invested quite considerably. But it it changes your mindset when you walk in in the morning, you feel pride, you're invested personally, emotionally, and um, it was great, great early days. It was fun, you know, and still is. It's, it's harder, perhaps, because the uh, times are a little tougher in cannabis right now. But um, <laughs> sure are, yeah. there, was, there was so much optimism in those early days, and they, they created that, Pat and Keith. They really did.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, from my perspective and what I do. I loved uh, the last few years. it was there was so much hype. it was so exciting. Everyone I talked to it didn't matter what they were doing. it was interesting. Uh, and there is a lot of um belief in the future of the space. And obviously it's going to be around, but there are some changes taking place. Um, I guess Metafarm and your marketing focus is more probably B2B than anything. And one of the things that you do very, very well, and I think I even sent you a message like a year ago saying, I really love your content, but you guys really handle LinkedIn well. Can you talk to me about LinkedIn and why you use it?
0: Well, because we're a B2B company, we have to connect with professionals, right? To, to, um, to make partnerships, whether it's for um, bulk concentrates or an ongoing, um, you know, brand development work or, or whatever, and so LinkedIn is one of the few channels where you can actually market directly to very specific companies. You can you can market to um, different decision makers within a company because everybody's loaded in all of their details. They they tell you exactly what their position in the company is, and um, through their sponsored uh, ad program. Um, platform on LinkedIn, you can you can really be specific in your targeting. And so, my job really was to first of all build out the website, and then start creating content that showed MediFarm Labs as a thought leader. So we've probably published I don't know 40 pieces of content this year alone um, whether through blogs or or um, deep dive on different pages on our website and so it's been tough for sure where you can barely market uh, within the confines of the cannabis Act um, and make very few claims and we have a four-person Canadian regulatory team and then we also have uh, two people in Australia as well so I I have a team of you know rigorous regulatory um, folks that keep an eye on everything I'm publishing. And we also have two in-house councils here in Canada and one in Australia. So every word that I'm publishing is vetted by these folks so that we're living through the, the letter of the law as far as the Cannabis Act. But LinkedIn allows us to actually connect with decision makers, both in in um, you know the present day customer group, which is Licensed cannabis producers, but also our future prospects in CPG or in pharma. And um, you know, I came—I came already with about five thousand of my own connections on LinkedIn, just because of the years of speaking at conferences and at colleges and universities, at Steam Muscle, and at entrepreneurship conferences. And Pat probably uh, far outstrips me in terms of the number of followers he has on various platforms and Keith as well. And so when you look at Medifarm, I've probably, with my team, helped to grow probably have about 20,000 followers on all of our various channels. But when you add in the senior leadership as well, we may probably double that number in terms of the people that we're reaching with our content. And so um, that's been our primary way of advertising ourselves and and connecting in addition to editorial.
1: Right. Well, I think that great marketers also. So create PR, I guess, uh, as opposed to reacting to news. Um, you guys have online events. I think you call them virtual symposiums. Um, you do your own press releases. You mentioned blogs on your website, um, which are posted quite regularly. Um, how important is it to you guys to create that PR?
0: Huge. Well, it's also a requirement as a public company. We have to, of course, yeah. um, You know, send out over the newswire any significant news. But it's just expected of us, and and um, it's the way to connect. And it, it's also a way to connect to people outside of um, our immediate domestic market and also our immediate customer base. Cannabis is a really hot topic globally. You know, people are watching watching Canada because we're one of the earliest frameworks for legalization and a, you know developed first world country. So people are really watching us, even though you know Uruguay beat us in terms of recreational le- uh, legalization, but because it's such a tiny market people I think are really watching Canada instead so outreach, um, whether it's to the science community, the medical community, the uh, consumer packaged goods or business and investor marketplace. Um, mm-hmm. That's how we connect is through press releases and editorial and investor platforms and, and so on. So I spend you... a lot of time writing branded content. and.
1: Oh publishing. yeah, it's obvious. I see it all the time. How do you gauge the success of the marketing that you do? How do you know that it's working and that eyeballs are hitting it? Uh, analytics aside, knowing that you're taking the right approach or making changes if you think that you're not?
0: Well, analytics confirm what you're hoping for, right? And obviously, we do a lot of deep diving on analytics. It's whether it's looking at sentiment or engagement or followers and shares and, and so forth, um, but it's also um, personal feedback. It's it's nice to hear when we've ha- we've hired a lot of people over the last two years. You can imagine I was employee 18, and I think we have like 230 now or something. So when when you're interviewing new employees or when people come on board and they say, "Wow, like you guys have the best LinkedIn platform in the industry," that makes me really proud, of course. Or you can tell when the phone's ringing, are we getting leads Um, or things like I've, I've spent time, um, you know, courting potential awards and recognition. um, And we've won quite a number of them. So when other people are confirming that you're doing good work or, or you're standing out in the industry, um, you know, that, that makes me proud as well. And, and that, that third party uh, referral or, or the third party, um, you know, checkmark, mark if you will. Um, you can't just be talking about yourselves. You have to court other people to tell your story for you. And so whether it's a journalist that's interested in sharing your story or an awards program that recognizes you or speaking engagements, or even um, strategic partnerships is something that I've worked on as well. And I I did a lot of that at Steam Whistle is finding people that makes sense to ally with because um, they share your ethos or they have the same vision or they're working on the same, um, you know, type of project. So for example, one of the one of the early phone calls that I made was to McMaster University's DeGroote Center for Medical Cannabis Research. How do we um, establish perhaps a bank of product that we can donate to research or studies? Um, we formed a four-year partnership with Loyalist College and their uh, Center for uh, cannabis research. They have the first post grad program in Canada for cannabis science, and so um, we've made a four year partnership with them. We donate product for their research center. We host students for tours and lectures. We hire interns, um, you know, every year, that kind of thing. So to me, it's it's important to keep those tentacles growing and and grow your community as well.
1: Metafarm Labs um, is apparently now making uh, your own products. Can you talk to me a little bit about that, what you guys are doing and also obviously your um, involvement in it from a marketing perspective?
0: Sure. So, you know, for the first two years of our life, we were a contract manufacturer for others, whether we were selling concentrates to licensed producers, which they would then turn into finished goods or Um, making products, finished products directly for others, be it tinctures or baits and so on. But in February of this year, we launched our own brand, the Medifarm Labs um, medical line. Um, We have three different CBD SKUs, a CBD 25, CBD 50, and then a 25.5. And it was fun for me to actually be able to create our own brand after just doing corporate marketing uh, for for the longest time. And We spent a lot of time looking at other cannabis products in the marketplace, but also looking at over the counter drugs and and natural health products, et cetera. And um, ultimately, what we kind of um, zeroed in on. Was what Jameson Vitamin does because we're kind of like uh, we're kind of like um, like that. We're not a adult rec company. We're a, a medical pharma first, you know, high quality uh, wellness company, if you will. And so I loved what Jameson was doing. That their branding, the, the parent company Jameson, is kind of secondary to the actual functional product. And we were getting feedback from retailers that, and and you saw this in the media too, that brands weren't resonating with customers because partly the Cannabis Act itself is so restrictive in terms of advertising, but also... A lot of marketers were trying to be cute and come up with names that maybe sounded like a real word but were misspelled so that they could get around the the regulations. And so I think consumers were having a hard time remembering products, that there was a parent company, and then there was a brand, and then there were sub-brands, and each one of them had their own names. And people just weren't remembering that. And so we just put the word CBD... Front right and center and loud, you know, loud and proud right on the label. And so kind of like Jameson vitamins, whether it's vitamin D or B or, you know, whatever iron, it's front and center. So that's, that's kind of the take that we took. And we also added a lot of color to show potency. And so if you line up the Medifarm Lab CBD family relative to some of our other competitors, I think we show up very well. And I've had some random like People reach out to me on LinkedIn and give me kudos to how we managed to to create a beautiful brand despite these super restrictive um, regulations. So I'm proud of that.
1: Nice. Well, I can tell you when I go into the drugstore and I'm looking for vitamins, I usually gravitate towards a section that has the company that I tend to buy from. And then you're right. You just look at, you know, uh, vitamin D. That's what you're buying. Mm-hmm. You might look at the strength and, and what it is, but you don't care about any marketing names or anything because you know what it is.
0: You know what you need. And, and I think because I'd spent two years marketing Medifarm as an entity, as a corporate entity, I'd hoped that our reputation was sort of preceding us for purity, for quality, for trust. And um, that kind of backed up everything we were doing in terms of connecting with the consumer and Mm -hmm. in terms of predictability of experience or predictability of dosing and and so on. So that was fun. But more to come. We're we're, um, doing some great research and innovation internally at Medifarm in terms of isolating novel cannabinoids and some new formats coming. And um, as well, we are kind of dipping our toes into... um, some other product lines that are
1: coming. So watch and learn. Okay. uh, Last question. From a macro perspective, do you have any insights or advice for people who are doing marketing in the cannabis space?
0: I don't know. I guess it's, for me, it's about, um, connecting with all of the different personas. And I mentioned there are so many, right? There's patients, there's recreational adult use consumers, there's wellness consumers, there's investors, there's uh, the CMO partnerships, there's there's academic and research institutions. There's so many different people that you have to market to. And, and even government, you have to you know work closely with regulators and, and municipal governments and so on. So it's about understanding those different personas understanding their viewpoint, figuring out what element of your story is going to resonate with them, Mm -hmm. and then um, finding the right channels or media to connect. These are universal marketing principles. And um, for me as well, I'm I'm a relatively new entrant uh, to cannabis. And just in the last few years, where there have been a lot of people that have been lobbying and advocating for decades for this product to be more widely available. And it's also about finding those people that have that passion and that deep knowledge. And I've had to spend a lot of time within our facility, just even understanding the science of cannabis. And and I have deep regard for the researchers and and the quality team that work here. And a lot of it is educating yourself as a marketer so that you're not making foibles, you're telling real science stories and also putting it in terms that are understandable, especially to the new cannabis users who are a little bit skeptical and whatnot. It's about understanding the psyche and and the, the needs of different groups that you're marketing to, I guess.
1: And um, being truthful. Standard stuff. How do we find out more about you online or contact you? Should somebody be interested in doing that?
0: Sure. So, well, LinkedIn's uh, probably the most active uh, social account for me. I, I am on Instagram and Facebook, but I, I keep my, my accounts private. You don't need to see pictures of my kids or my cat, I think. But uh, yeah, LinkedIn, uh, Sybil Taylor on LinkedIn. And um, you're welcome to email me at Medifarm, s. Taylor at MedifarmLabs.com. And, and Medifarm itself is active on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram. And uh, we have a pretty robust website and, and there is an intake, uh, you know, contact us page there that channels you off to different people in our organization, depending on what your interests are. So yeah, we welcome, we welcome anybody getting in touch.
1: All right. Thanks for doing this. I appreciate it. My pleasure, Michael. Thanks so much. Thanks again to Sybil Taylor for joining me to talk about marketing in the cannabis space. Like she said, follow her on LinkedIn and you can find her work simply by Googling Medifarm Labs. Hey, if you like what I do, tell your friends to check out the podcast as well. You can follow me on Twitter at underscore insiders pod. And if you have a story that you'd like to tell, email me, michael at distinctmedia.ca. All right, Amber, you're up. Thank you for listening to the Insiders Podcast. We do our very best to be as accurate
0: as possible, but take no responsibility for inaccurate details or facts. If a topic interests you, we're happy to have brought it to your attention. But please take the time to research the details for yourself. To find out more about Insider's podcast and all of the work that we do, check out distinctmedia.ca.